Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Hello and welcome to Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker, from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. I'm delighted you're joining us. If you're not already a subscriber, please do subscribe to Free Expression wherever you get your podcasts. This week, a looming indictment for Donald Trump. Legal peril or political advantage? Or maybe both. Manhattan's District Attorney Alvin Bragg is expected to file an indictment of the former president any day now. Charge seems to relate to the payment of hush money to what we decorously in these parts call an adult movie star, Stormy Daniels, to keep her from revealing details in the run-up to the 2016 election of an earlier affair she alleged she had with Mr. Trump. And Michael Cohen, Mr. Trump's attorney, paid Ms. Daniels $130,000 and then received reimbursement from the Trump Organization for the payments. When the Wall Street Journal broke the story in January 2018, Mr. Trump denied it vehemently. But it never went away, and various prosecutors investigated a possible crime. But after much legal toing and froing and lots of doubt about the wisdom of bringing a case, finally, Mr. Bragg in New York decided to pursue a potential prosecution. Now, the alleged offence Mr. Trump is charged with is falsification of business records, which under New York law is actually a misdemeanor, meaning no prison time. But it becomes a felony if such falsification was done in furtherance of a crime which is what Mr. Bragg is now alleging. Now, of all the investigations Mr. Trump's faced in the last few years, this one always seemed the weakest. Few such prosecutions are ever brought, and many people sympathize with the former president's claim that it's a witch hunt against him. So what's going to happen? Is there really a strong legal case for the former president to answer? How will it play out in political terms? Does it reinforce his narrative that he's the subject of a never-ending pursuit by opponents, now using the law to go after him in a manner more resonant of a banana republic? Where does it leave the state of trust in America's judicial system? Well, to talk about all this, I'm pleased to welcome back this week Jonathan Turley. You'll be very familiar with Jonathan, lawyer, writer, legal scholar, commentator, professor at George Washington University Law School. He's testified in impeachment hearings, including those of President Trump, and has served as counsel in multiple prominent cases on constitutional law matters. And Jonathan Turley joins me now. Jonathan, thanks very much for joining Free Expression. Thank you very much. So we're talking, obviously, about Donald Trump, the legal case that seems to be imminent against him. Let's start, if we may, with just getting a sense of where we are. Now, we're recording this, I should say, Wednesday morning, New York time. Donald Trump said at the weekend he was going to be indicted on these charges related to the Stormy Daniels payment. He was going to be indicted on Tuesday. Well, Tuesday came and went without an indictment, but we do know there's been activity there in Manhattan at the district court. The grand jury is meeting. So we kind of get a sense, I think, that something is moving and something is quite imminent. Can you give me a sense, Jonathan, of where you think we are, how close we might be to something, and what do you think is going to happen in the next few days? Well, the assumption is that we're quite close to an indictment. The case itself is highly controversial, but They've gone a far distance down this road, and an indictment is expected. It had a curious turn in the last few days of the grand jury when the former counsel to Michael Cohen asked to appear before the grand jury. Mr. Costello proceeded to accuse his former client, Mr. Cohen, of being a serial liar, and he brought with him reportedly 300 emails that contradict what he has said, at least publicly. That may have thrown a bit of a wrench into the works and delayed the grand jury a bit. 
But the expectation is that Alvin Bragg is going to stay the course and push this through. What will unfold then will be the first arrest of a former president in the history of this country. Let's dig into the case. I know you've written about this and it's very much on everybody's mind, and particularly the legal strength of the case, which I think even some sympathetic to uh, Alvin Bragg think is not particularly strong. If there is a charge, if there is to be an indictment, the charge, as I understand it, would relate to falsification of business records. Now, if you could just explain what that is and particularly explain the complication that I think under New York law, that normally would be a misdemeanor. But then if it is somehow, if it's conducted in furtherance of a crime, then it becomes a felony, and hence the case we're having. Just explain, if you would, Jonathan, what the theory of the case is and what the potential charges might be. Well, this is a fairly bizarre basis for an indictment if these reports are true. The underlying state crime is a misdemeanor for falsifying business records. In this case, they would be records that fail to identify the payment to Stormy Daniels as a federal election expenditure. But the state misdemeanor has only a two-year statute of limitations, which ran some time ago. This is at least seven years since the crime occurred, allegedly, under New York law. So Breck has to find a way to toll the statute or extend it. And one way to do that is to kick this up to a felony by saying that the misdemeanor crime was committed to hide or to facilitate another crime. Usually that's another state crime. It's often a state crime that a person has been convicted of. In this case, it's a federal crime that the Department of Justice itself declined to prosecute. Indeed, Bragg's predecessor rejected this type of bootstrapping theory. Can you explain what that federal crime would be if indeed there were one? Years ago, a theory arose that you could charge Donald Trump under the federal election laws because of the $130,000 paid to Stormy Daniels by Michael Cohen. Cohen paid that money out of his own pocket, but there's evidence that suggests that he was effectively reimbursed by Donald Trump. Now, all of that is not illegal at all in the sense that people will pay hush money or give money to individuals that they want to go away, particularly celebrities will do that as hush money. What is a problem is that the argument was that Donald Trump did this with the election in mind. So the theory is that the $130,000 was effectively a campaign contribution that he did not report as required under federal law. He then essentially disguised that payment by falsifying business records, in this case on the state level. So it's a bootstrapping argument, the idea that the New York misdemeanor was committed to hide the federal crime. The problem, of course, is that the federal crime was never charged. The Justice Department declined to bring that case. Uh, so did Bragg's predecessors. And Bragg himself threw a flag on the play. When he came into office, he essentially stopped the active investigation from moving forward. That resulted in two prosecutors resigning. One of those prosecutors did something that I think is really grossly unprofessional and improper. Uh, the prosecutor wrote a book about what he had learned during his investigation. And the book basically lays out the prosecution of Donald Trump, an individual 
who was not charged, let alone convicted. Indeed, someone who was still under investigation. So this whole case has been filled with these wicked details. And that has really led to a number of people on the left and right saying that this really isn't copacetic. You know, that this is a dubious legal theory being advanced in what seems a highly political environment. I'm trying to understand what the standard is that Bragg has to reach in order to persuade a jury that this was a felony. Does he have to persuade them that that federal offense, as you say, which even the Justice Department declined to prosecute, that that federal offense actually occurred even though no one was ever prosecuted for it? Does he have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, that the underlying supposed crime there? Or does he just have to prove that Trump was trying to break the law, was in pursuit of actions that would amount to a federal offense? He's actually got to prove to them that not only the falsification of records, but actually that there was an actual crime against federal election law committed by Donald Trump. Well, that's what's so bizarre about this, because you would have to establish a crime was committed, which would seem to require the Manhattan prosecutors proving a federal crime that the Department of Justice decided didn't warrant charges. And in proving that crime, you have to do something that's exceedingly difficult. You have to show that the sole reason for the payment of the $130,000 was for the election. And this is the type of theory that was used in past cases like John Edwards, the former Democratic presidential candidate. The Edwards case was actually stronger than the Trump case. In that case, you had campaign officials working with donors to hush up an affair that led to a child out of wedlock by John Edwards. Edwards admitted the payments, admitted the effort to bury the scandal. The Department of Justice spent copious amounts of money to convict John Edwards and failed. The reason is that when a celebrity or politician is accused of an extramarital affair, there is a myriad of reasons why they would want to pay hush money, including preserving their marriage. John Edwards' wife was suffering from cancer. She ultimately died from cancer. There's lots of reasons why he would want that money paid. The same is true for Donald Trump. He was not just a celebrity, but he was someone who is on television and has a contract involving anything that brings questions of moral turpitude or scandal to the network. So there's lots of reasons why Donald Trump, as a non-candidate, would want Stormy Daniels to go away. And that's why I think the Department of Justice passed on this. That is, they really couldn't say that this payment done before the election had only the election in mind. So Bragg is not only going to be a Manhattan prosecutor trying to prove a federal crime, but a federal crime that the Department of Justice passed on for good reason. Is it possible, Jonathan, we've all been very focused on this, and like you and many people, many experts and scholars on this have raised questions about what Bragg is doing in terms of its feasibility, really, as, as a charge and as a legal proceeding. Is it possible we're missing something here? I mean, is, is there anything at all that you've seen from, and again, I know the grand jury proceedings are secret, but from anything that we've heard or seen around this case, that maybe when the indictment does come down, it's something other than what we all think it is. Is there a possibility of some other charge that maybe has a it looks like a kind of higher probability of success. Well, that's an excellent question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that because I can't imagine going forward just on this basis. 
But there's not a lot of options here for Elvin Bragg. First of all, the statute of limitations is running on other potential crimes that wouldn't allow this type of bootstrapping. One possibility would be false statements or other false documents that they've been able to establish that would be within the statute of limitations. So there's always that chance that you're going to have new material come forward. Notably, this former prosecutor who wrote this really controversial and, in my view, unethical book did not suggest that. It seemed to suggest this bootstrapping theory. And all of the reporters that have been all over this case haven't come up with anything other than the bootstrapping. So if this goes forward just on the misdemeanor and federal election claim, Bragg would be just counting on the world's most favorable jury and likely a favorable court for some New York judges dismissing a case against Donald Trump would be an act of self-immolation. These are state-elected judges. For jurors, you couldn't pick a better pool. You know, Donald Trump lost by over 40% in New York. And so it's very likely he's going to have a motivated jury. So Bragg may be counting on that. That doesn't protect them from later appeals. So if the indictment comes down from the grand jury, now I know you know, the famous old saying that a good prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. So that burden of proof there to get an indictment is obviously very low compared with the standard required to actually get a conviction. I mean, assuming it does come down, that we do get that indictment, and again, on the charges that we've discussed and everybody seems to think is coming, what next? I mean, presumably, you've just laid out very well the kind of political stakes for New York judges and indeed the kind of likely political predilections of a New York jury. But given how weak the case seems to be, Trump's lawyers will presumably immediately move for a motion to dismiss. What sort of chance does this actually have of getting to court? What chance would Trump have of actually getting it thrown out for all the reasons that we've discussed? Well, it depends a great deal on the judge uh, that is ultimately assigned to the case. There are two immediate issues that the court will have to decide. One is the statute of limitations. There's no question that the statute is run on the misdemeanor. So the question is, will the court except that this is within the statute of limitations of the federal offense, if that linkage is upheld. It may be. It was seven years ago, but there are ways to toll the statute. So the court will have to make a threshold decision that no matter what I decide, even if I say you can effectively prove this federal crime, I have to decide whether even with the federal crime, you're within five years. Assuming that the court then does that, the court will have to decide on this linchpin. Is the court really going to have Alvin Bragg litigate a federal crime in order to preserve this originally misdemeanor claim? That's going to depend a lot on these judges. That's clearly not, in my view, what the statute had in mind. It's not that Alvin Bragg is out of his lane. He's on the wrong highway. That law seemed clearly to refer to state crimes, but more importantly, crimes that were established. Here, you're really saying, I think he's guilty of a crime that was never charged in the federal system, and that crime is enough to elevate this misdemeanor into a felony. That type of daisy chain logic would not sit well with a lot of judges. But the pressure on this New York judge is going to be enormous. If you listen to the coverage on this case, this has the atmosphere of a thrill kill for many people in New York. 
This is everything that many people on the left have dreamt of. You know, we've gone through literally a dozen different criminal claims that are played out on cable television over the last six years. Virtually all of them were stated by legal experts on those programs to be slam dunks where the evidence was clear. None of those were charged because they were ridiculous. So this is finally this dream come true for many people. But I got to tell you, you know, even if you hate Donald Trump, you couldn't get me to embrace this case. I mean, you talk about this very unusual kind of legal theory that he's using the allegation of a federal crime essentially to make the case for a state crime. Presumably, is well, what's the case law on this? There presumably is, this isn't unprecedented, right? I mean, one can imagine circumstances in which a charge is pursued against the defendant in a state court relating to maybe a prior crime or an underlying crime in federal court. It would not be unprecedented, right? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a case. I haven't seen it. I would expect that those other cases would involve a conviction uh, in the federal system, as opposed to not only proving your case, but proving their case. We're going to take a short break there. When we come back, we'll talk more with Jonathan Turley about the looming indictment of Donald Trump and what it means for America's politics and legal system. Stay with us. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. You're listening to Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest episode anytime on your smart speaker. Just say, play the Opinion Free Expression podcast. Now, back to Jerry Baker. I'm back with Jonathan Turley, legal scholar and commentator. We're talking about potential legal trouble for Donald Trump, and in particular, whether the case that seems to be about to be brought against him in New York is actually more the kind of thing you see in a banana republic than you see in the United States. As you say, you very rightly lay out there that even as weak as you think the case is, and again, many people think you're in the hands of a a judge and a New York jury, a Manhattan jury, presumably a New York City jury that may not be favorable to Trump. So despite the kind of fairly sort of optimistic talk among Trump supporters that actually, and I want to move on to this later, this is politically to his advantage. And despite the weakness of the case, just because of the vagaries of the judicial system, there's real legal jeopardy here for Trump, right? I mean, there is the real possibility, the small one may be in your view, but a real possibility that he could be convicted and sent to prison. Well, I think that there is a threat here because if the judge allows us to go to trial, he is facing a jury that will be highly motivated in all likelihood against him. This jury pool is a nightmare for Donald Trump. It'll take a lot for a juror to rise above those types of political feelings or uh, bias. If he's convicted on the felony, the recommendation under the guidelines is a year in jail. So that's always a real threat. Ironically, of the three torpedoes in the water for Donald Trump in terms of potential criminal charges. This is the one he would hope would hit 
first. Because Alvin Bragg just gave him a case positive for the politicalization of the criminal justice system. You know, there are credible allegations coming out of Mar-a-Lago. Those are well-established criminal theories. They have evidence that either side can debate, but evidence that is there that the Justice Department could cite. This, I don't see how anyone could plausibly claim was not the result of political pressure. It is a political prosecution. Is that the kind of thing that could be also reviewed on appeal? Either presumably that he would appeal if he were convicted, obviously through the state courts, and ultimately, presumably, the U.S. Supreme Court could weigh in. Again, the way you're describing it, it sounds like it would be such an evident miscarriage of justice that it maybe is the kind of thing that once the jury is taken out of the equation that maybe gets corrected. Well, the best claim is going to be that this does not meet the standards of state law, but these state judges are likely to be highly motivated as well. They tend to be appointed or elected judges. They tend to be democratic. I would hope that they would be independent enough to see that this is a miscarriage or a misuse of state law. But once they make the decision on what the state law means, that gets a degree of deference from the federal courts. And the question is, does a federal court feel comfortable in saying, well, look, this is just so clearly a political prosecution, it just violates federal constitutional guarantees? That could be difficult. This could get very nasty very quick for a lot of federal judges as they try to look at this case from a federal perspective. I mean, how will they review this if the state courts say, no, we perfectly allow this type of claim to be made? You talk about particularly two other cases that we know that Trump is threatened by, these torpedoes, as you described them. There's some stuff related to the documents and records at Mar-a-Lago. And there's the Georgia, I think Fulton County District Attorney pursuing allegations of Trump's interference in the Georgia count in the 2020 presidential election. As you say, if this goes ahead, this case in New York and goes to trial, and especially if I suppose if he's convicted, or maybe even if he's acquitted, it, it does taint, doesn't it? Maybe unfairly, all of these legal attempts, because it will be quite easy for him to say, this is so obviously a political witch hunt. And it's just being repeated again and again. In a funny way, it almost helps Trump that this case, the weakest of the cases, is coming up first rather than the other two to make that case that he's being victimized. Oh, there's no question this helps Trump. I mean, of all the three torpedoes in the water, this has a clown face on the nose cone. I mean, it is something that most people look at and they see a political agenda. So there's no question this would be the one that Trump would most like to hit first. And it will have that tainting effect upon the other prosecutions. If the Georgia now comes in, it'll be viewed as another fairly liberal prosecutor in a Democratic jurisdiction moving against Trump before an election. I think that the Georgia case is weak. I've never really seen evidence that I thought would make a compelling case for prosecution. If it is based on the one call that occurred between Trump and some of these state officials, I just don't think that dog will hunt. You know, it's based on basically a statement that all I need you to do is find 15,000 votes. And what's happening is people spin that and say, well, he was saying go and create 15,000 votes. There's an obvious alternative 
interpretation. This was sort of a settlement call with opposing counsel. And he was trying to say, at least he can argue to a jury, I was saying that if you do a statewide survey, if you do an examination statewide, it doesn't take many votes if you find that there are errors to change the outcome of the election. I only need 15,000 votes because that's my margin. So that has a very different meaning. That doesn't strike me as a criminal defense attorney as a particularly compelling case. Mar-a-Lago is a different matter. I've always said that the Mar-a-Lago investigation was the one to watch. It's gotten more complicated because of the classified documents found in various sites with Joe Biden, also with former Vice President Pence. But the Department of Justice has always seemed more focused on the obstruction aspects of the case. And they are claiming that they have evidence that Donald Trump knew of false statements given to the archives and the FBI, and that it constituted an effort to obstruct their investigation. That is a well-treaded area of law. Prosecutors bring those claims all the time. There's nothing novel about it. And so you have to view that as a very serious threat. We should quickly say, Jonathan, I just want to get your view on this, too, that you mentioned these three torpedoes. One of those torpedoes, I suppose, is kind of double-headed, like twin warheads, as it were, because this is the Jack Smith investigation, who is the special counsel appointed by the Justice Department, who is investigating exactly the Mar-a-Lago issues, but also investigating any potential criminality related to January 6th. I take it from what you've said that you think that's a bit of a long shot too. I have always said that I have never viewed those allegations to be credible. There's a case called Brandenburg, which I think would end any prosecution if it's based upon Trump's speech. We have seen no evidence, even after the January 6th committee, of a conspiracy or other actions taken by Trump. It all still came back to that speech. That is protected speech. And to prove otherwise would be to go against well-established law. Uh, The reason Mar-a-Lago is dangerous for Trump is it is well-trod territory. This is indeed something that the prosecutors are used to bringing as one of their favorite claims with false statements because they tend to be easier to prove. Let's talk about the wider implications of this likely imminent Bragg New York indictment. It does look, unfortunately, and you've described it very well, as though Bragg, you know, who, by the way, is, I think we said initially was actually skeptical about the case, was then seemed to have been pressured to go ahead with it by more aggressive, politically motivated, perhaps, colleagues or Democrats in New York. It does look as though, if you take all that together, that Bragg has somehow decided that going ahead with this case, whatever the legal merits, is somehow you know, politically advantageous, again, because he might get a favorable jury and a favorable judge. And also, you have to suspect, I think he'll be the first ever prosecutor to bring a criminal charge against a former president of the United States. And let's be honest, the left has spent the last seven years kind of salivating at the prospect that one day someone is going to clap Donald Trump in irons and send him to jail. And the kind of the kudos that someone like Bragg, who presumably also has higher ambitions in New York, those ambitions don't seem to include actually getting crime down in New York, but he has higher political ambitions. But the kudos that kind of would accrue to him would be so great. I mean, again, maybe that's too cynical a view, but it does seem to be quite a widely held view. What does that tell us about the integrity of the judicial system? I mean, people have talked about, and I don't want to be over emotive here or overstate it, but people have talked about, you know, this is the kind of behavior that goes on in banana republics, the politicization of the judiciary, 
going after your political enemies with judicial actions, with prosecutorial actions, you are unfortunately left with the impression that, again, whatever Donald Trump's many, many flaws and many failings and potentially possible crimes that he's committed, that this in particular is a fairly clear example of a politically motivated prosecutor trying to achieve a politically advantageous outcome. I don't think it's possible to avoid that conclusion when you look objectively at these facts. This, unfortunately, I think is a manifestation of our age of rage, that people have allowed their political hatreds and bias to overwhelm their judgment. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, where people on the left are suddenly adopting these broad definitions of crimes and arguing against the individual rights of the accused. It extends beyond the criminal justice system. I just testified in Congress over the government's role in censorship on social media. And that hearing was just about investigating the government's role in censorship. The Democrats wholeheartedly opposed it. And some of them even accused my fellow witnesses of being, quote, Putin lovers and insurrectionalist uh, conspirators or sympathizers. It's becoming a sort of Red Scare 2.0. And all of this, I think, is part of the same thing. It's about rage. It's about how rage overcomes reason. And with Bragg, I think it's particularly sad. He's an experienced prosecutor. He knows this is bogus. And he knew it when he threw the flag on the play. He knows it now. He knows he's doing something wrong. He's violating his oath. But today, in an age of rage, a man of reason is a truly endangered person. Bragg tried to throw a flag on this play and barely survived politically. Uh, he's now decided that he's going to yield to the mob. Does this become routine now then, do you think? I mean, just as impeachment seems to become routine and the hyper-politicization of our society and then the resort to judicial and legal methods to kind of pursue political aims, does it become now routine, do you think? Do you fear that future presidents find themselves a nice, juicy target for their political opponents to pursue criminal cases against? Unless the courts can stop this, I think it will be replicated. Bragg is going to ride this wave of popularity, win or lose, by bringing this charge. These state prosecutors are political animals, and they are going to be chomping at the bit to do the same thing, to replicate what has happened for Bragg. The more many of us criticize Bragg, the more popular he becomes with many people in this base. And I think that's the perverse incentive here. And so I am worried about what this portends for the future. But we're likely to see it also because there is this alliance between people in government like Bragg, the media, many in academia, if not most. You have this alliance that brings an appearance of legitimacy to this type of effort. You have law professors lining up and saying, oh no, this is a really strong case. There's nothing novel or odd about this. Of course, Trump should be prosecuted. And so people who can watch that and they're like, oh, okay, so it must be fine. It's not. I mean, it's a terrible abuse of our criminal justice system. Final question for you, Jonathan, and this is more political, obviously, than legal, but you're a fine political mind as well as a legal mind, so I'm going to ask you it. If this goes off, again, let's, it, a big if, we don't yet know, but assuming the indictment goes ahead, assuming a trial goes ahead and isn't tossed out, and let's take the conditional that, that Trump is actually convicted, how does this play out politically? On, on the one hand, for all the reasons we've just spent the last half hour talking about, 
many people will see this as a politically, whatever they think of Trump, politically motivated, unjustified pursuit of someone for a crime that would never be prosecuted in any other circumstances. And they've just gone after him because they're political enemies. And therefore, that leads to unusually for Donald Trump, a kind of level of sympathy. He doesn't, it's not a sympathetic figure. Even when he's popular, he's not particularly sympathetic, but this could be. This could help him enormously. Or does the simple fact that here he is, he's a man who's been indicted and potentially convicted of a crime, does that actually have the effect of a lot of Americans just saying, look, I don't like the way this happened, but am I really going to vote for someone who's just been convicted of a crime, a crime, in fact, related to his actions and behavior in the previous presidential election? How do you think that plays out? How do you think that balances out? Well, I think we already saw how it plays out. Trump is soaring in the polls and he has just gotten some of his greatest critics to rally behind him. This fulfills his narrative. And in this case, he He's right. Uh, he said that they're politicizing the criminal justice system, and Bragg just gave a clear and, I think, undeniable example of precisely that. And so I think this can only help Trump. What I think is going to be interesting about the dynamic going into the election is if Trump is able to use these cases as a weird campaign issue, that I've always said that a president can give a self-pardon. I disagree with some academics have said that's not allowed. I, I think the Constitution does allow self-pardoning. Well, Trump could weirdly campaign on that. He could say, look, if you vote for me, you could really stick it in the eye of the establishment and media. I'll get elected and pardoned myself, and then we'll go after all these people. Trump was elected precisely on that anti-establishment base in 2016, but he had far less to offer than he does today. Because of Elvin Bragg, he actually is an anti-establishment figure for a lot of voters. So they may actually relish the chaos that would come uh, from electing Donald Trump, having a self-pardon issued by him once he's elected. So this election could get awfully odd in the coming months. I think what Bragg has done is not just undermine the criminal justice system and his own reputation, but I think it's undermined the political system as well. This is going to make this a very perverse campaign season. As you say, the strange thing is that Trump was already sort of seemed to be planning to campaign on the proposition that the 2020 election was stolen from him. It was all about him. And, and now he may have an opportunity to campaign on the fact that his political opponents are trying to put him in prison. It's all one way or another. It all seems to be about Donald Trump, doesn't it? Jonathan Turley, thank you very much indeed for joining the episode of Free Expression. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks very much for joining us here on Free Expression. I'll be back next week with another conversation about an important issue facing the world. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.